Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. How is everybody doing? What's up? If you are new to the show, welcome. I appreciate you listening. If this is your 100th episode, thank you so much for coming back to the show As always, you know I really, really appreciate you. All right, you guys, we have such a great guest on the program. And if you don't know this already, my roots kind of go back to reptiles. Ever since I was a kid, I was just, you know, obsessed with reptiles. I still am super obsessed with reptiles. I have over 30 different exotic reptiles, alligators, pythons, boas, iguanas, tortoises, you name it. And so I have been a fan of this guy and his business for so long. So on the show today, we have Jay Brewer from Prehistoric Pets. It's a reptile zoo and breeding facility based in California. And Jay is super famous. If you are on Instagram, you definitely have heard of him, especially if you are into reptiles. He has a massive following. Jay currently has over a million and a half followers on Instagram. I think he has like 1.6 million followers on TikTok. This guy's great. He's all over the internet, uh, just raising awareness about reptiles, snakes in particular, which I love because they always need a voice. And so I was so excited to get Jay on the show. And, you know, like I said, I was, I've been a fan since I was a kid. Like I remember being in typing class, it, I think like seventh grade. And I would just like go to the prehistoric, um, the, the prehistoric pets website just to see if they had any new reptiles for sale. And I just, I was always so fascinated. And, you know, I still obviously follow Jay today. And, you know, when I started this show, Animals to the Max, a few years ago, I thought, man, Jay would be an awesome guest to have on the show. And I'm so excited. I finally landed him. He is a, I mean, guys, he's a busy guy. He's traveling the world. He's spreading awareness about animals. He's filming all the time. And so I was so excited to talk to him and, you know, just hear his backstory because a lot of us see him on Instagram. He is literally living the dream. His saying is like team living the dream. And I wanted to know, like, how did you get to that place. And that's why I love doing the show Animals to the Max. I get to ask people their backstory and we get to kind of go into that. And Jay Jay's story is so incredibly inspirational. Um you know, unfortunately, he was an orphan. He lost his mom and his dad back I believe when he was 14 years old. He was just on his own and he didn't have any family and he literally had to build himself up from the ground up and pursue his dreams and his passion of working with animals. And he did it. And it's just incredible. And it's so, I was telling Jay, like, I, I, you know, throughout the interview, I was like, man, you're like, you need to become a motivational speaker because you're just like hitting home with all these just great, um, you know, great quotes and, you know, sayings. And so it was just, just so inspirational. So, uh, you know, we definitely cover Jay's background. We also talk about what it's like running a facility, you know, prehistoric pets, they have thousands of animals, you know, we talk about the expenses, you know, we talk about what it takes to care for those animals. We also talk about, you know, some things that the naysayers say, you know, maybe people who are against animals in captivity or, you know, against, I don't know, snake breeding. And, you know, we just kind of address that and kind of Jay goes over that. And I really, really like his take on that matter. And then we uh, finish off with some of his favorite travel destinations. So I promise if you are a fan of reptiles, a fan of travel, a fan of just, I guess, animals in general, you are going to love this interview. And it is 100% so inspirational for anybody, anybody out there listening. If you have a dream, just pursue it. Shoot for the stars. The sky is the limit. I mean, you know, once again, once you hear Jay's story, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is just, this guy's awesome. Before we get started, as always, please make sure to subscribe to the show. And if you haven't already, please leave a rating. And I really like this actually, when you do leave a rating, please let me know which episode, or excuse me, when you leave a review, let me know what episode that you liked. And you know, that really helps me out. And it also helps get the show out there in iTunes and other podcasting platforms. We also are available, I guess, if you're listening to it on Google Play, Spotify, I am also starting to upload some stuff on YouTube. Another thing, if you haven't already, please make sure to check out my social channels at Corbin Maxi. I'll include the links in the show notes if you want kind of more behind the scenes of the show and kind of putting this, you know, together. And of course, if you're an animal fan, you will love it. And of course, if you aren't already following Jay, which I'm sure like 90% of you already are, but if you aren't, I will include Jay's Instagram handle and his TikTok handle as well. I think it's just, let me just check. I think it's like Jay at Prehistoric Pets. Come on, Jay, let's see this is um let's see 
Hold on, guys. J, prehistoric pets. Yep, you guys can't miss it. And he has a little blue check mark next to him. So you can't miss him. And um, yeah, so like I said, I hope you enjoy this episode of the show. Let me know what you think. Also, keep on sending your guest suggestions. I know a lot of you have messaged me you wanted Jay on the show. I personally did too, so I'm so excited to have him. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome to the show Jay Brewer from Prehistoric Pets. The famous Jay. Welcome to Animal. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead. I don't know about all that famous stuff, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually telling Laura earlier that I have been following prehistoric pets since I was like 13 years old. So for like 16 years. That's a long time. Yeah, I remember in middle school, like in in, uh, in computer class, Jay, when I like would have to like when I was supposed to pay attention, I would go to your website every day and see if there were any new postings and like. It was so awesome. So I am. I'm. I'm you, you don't have to make me feel any older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so no, uh, I just and I wanted. You know, of course, I follow you on Instagram. You have a huge following on Instagram, over a million and a half followers. And I just, I want to get to the root of Jay, and I want to figure out where this all began. And take me through your life story. Okay, well, uh, it's kind of just depends on how you look at everything. Basically, what happened was I got into reptiles because I just didn't have anything else I could afford to do. <laughs> so, so when I was a kid, I was actually uh, I was adopted, and, and when I was adopted, I was adopted by an older older couple. And the older couple, my mother passed away when I was four, and we, they went through a financial crisis, and it's a long story. But basically, we ended up really poor, and my, losing my mom at four made it oh. double hard, and uh, we just ended up living in, you know, kind of substandard place in Tustin. And, and the only good part was there was a lot of fields, so that kept me busy for something to do because I didn't have any toys or any bicycles or anything cool. So I basically just went out in the fields and looked for snakes and ended up doing a lot of frog hunting in the ditches. And I ended up doing that and ended up to be out there in the middle of the night. And by the time I got home, I was so tired I wouldn't go to school the next day. And and uh, it was – it's a uh, – Far cry from a good start, but it doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish anyway. Mm-hmm. And how was the hobby back when you were, I mean, back when you were a kid? Was it, I mean, did you know there were like. There, there, there was no hobby. It was very, very, very few stores that even had it. There was a place called Lloyd's Pet that's pets that had a, you know, tiny selection. And the place, uh, Pet Country, where I bought my snakes were, I mean, they didn't even exist when I started really, but. But, you know, anyway, so it just took a long time and I, you know, mostly just caught my things. And, and then when I got a little bit older, I started my own, I, my father ended up passing away when I was 14 and I was orphaned. I uh, started a fishing business and in the fishing business, I made enough money to where I could decide what I wanted to play with and do. So all of a sudden now, instead of being just, you know, catching snakes and lizards, I was buying rare snakes and stuff like that one. And so. Even the crazy part about it is when I was maybe, I don't know, 12 or 13, I uh, I had, you know, caught a lot of snakes and traded them and, you know, did a little bit of everything to get better snakes by catching a whole bunch of different snakes, garter snakes, you know, gopher snakes and lizards and frogs. And I'd take them to a pet store. Back then you could do it. And I'd just trade them up, trade them up, trade them up like trading cards or something. Kind uh-huh. of silly, but... That's what I, and I ended up with a boa, and it was a Saranam boa of all things, a great big one, and it wouldn't eat. And when I went back, you know, here I am, 12 or 13 years old, I went back and I said, this boa will not eat. And they said, well, the only thing we can trade it for you is this 14-foot reticulated python. Oh, my gosh. And yeah, and I was literally at most 13 years old. And my dad was like 65, 66 years old, and he's just like, whatever you want. <laughs> and so I went home with this big old giant reticulated python, and I still to this day am dumbfounded how they had a tame reticulated python that far back because most of the wild caught ones were just vicious. So I don't know if it was raised in Malaysia or as a pet and oh. somehow it over here or – but somehow it was a tame reticulated python, and I had that for a few years. And <clears throat> yeah, I was maybe at the most thirteen. Wow! And how long? More yeah. like twelve. Wow! And you just—I had a go ahead. I had it for a couple of years, and what ended up happening was I had went to 
uh, Nevada uh, with a – I had like a, a guy that I really admired. I don't know why because he drank a lot, but he liked fishing and, <laughs> and you know, liked desert and snakes and shooting guns. And, and anyway, so I lived out there for a little while, and that turned into like a uh, super cold year. And, and my snake was back home, and the people were taking care of it, just didn't give it enough heat. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear it was, that. It was so cold it snowed in Cal. It snowed at Newport Beach. Really? That year. Oh my. Yeah, gosh. so it was a really crazy, crazy year, and uh, we were living in an abandoned house and <laughs> abandoned house in, in in Nevada, and it was just crazy. Oh my god. So gosh. I had a really weird childhood, but basically after I had nobody to take care of me, I kind of got it all together myself and started a business and did pretty well honestly and so i ended up having some money and and then uh the fishing business got really weird i had i mean i wasn't rich or anything but i was rich for a poor kid (laughs) (laughs) uh, the fishing business they started changing the laws and i just got frustrated with it so i decided to start and i got married and i decided i wanted my kids to not be around all the alcoholic fishermen at the time (laughs) and uh and so we went so i went and bought a pet store with the money that i had gotten i'd put down payment and just started making payments and worked my way out of fishing into the having a pet store and eventually that turned into the economy crashed i had to come up with ways to make more money so i started buying i started uh i started breeding snakes and then and then i started doing birthday parties to educational stuff to try to make money and uh we just kind of kept developing into what we are today yeah well i tell you what i started a reptile rescue when i was 12 i'm 30 now and to make that's money, impressive well thank you well yeah i mean not as impressive as as your extensive career but yeah i mean so i, mean, I had like 60 different animals when i was like 12 years old in my parents bonus room and to support them i would do birthday parties and yeah i mean yeah people don't understand but that's a great way to you got to support them everybody thinks that you know oh you got all these animals you're rich and the truth of the matter is it's like having a huge extended family and now you have to feed them and take care of them and mm-hmm. you know you got to be either independently wealthy or you got to be creative and i'm sounds like you were creative and i was creative and yeah and uh yeah but you had i remember i would every day look you had jurassic parties which you still do right correct yeah yeah, you yep. guys, you guys had that program down. Although I kind of screwed up, I thought I could like extend and be like, "Ooh, I could do like a two-hour deluxe <clears throat> critter party," and it turned into a nightmare. I got locked into a garage with like thirty-six six-year-olds, and it like, oh, it was just an awful experience. <laughs> like, I, I, I have I have learned that you know, you get, if you're going to do the two-hour ones, it can't be all education because the kids just can't take that much. Mm-hmm. So, but you get an hour and you get a good education and you spend 30 minutes taking photos, another 30 minutes holding a big snake. And before you know it, you got kids completely involved in reptiles for two hours straight. And they just, they don't even know another world exists. Yeah. And so, so let's go back really quick. So when did uh, prehistoric pets open? And that's in Fountain Valley, California, which is in Orange County. When did it open? Uh, it was called pet country when I bought it. And that was, I believe in 1987 or 88. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Nice. It's been a lot of years. It's been 30, it's been 30, uh, this will be our 32nd year, I think in September. So whatever that is. Wow. I think 89, 87. I don't know. Yeah. 87. Yep. Anyway, my, I mean, Laura was born at, I mean, not at the store, but literally, we took her from the hospital and drove to the store to go pick up paperwork for my my wife could pay do payroll on the way home from the hospital. So she's she's thirty she's over thirty now, and she had to, and so she you know I mean you add a year to that I mean so that's thirty one years this will be our thirty second year. Oh my gosh! So let's talk about the early days because I remember. Back here, because I'm based in Boise, Idaho, they had like this crazy pet shop with a reptile theme, and they had like they were selling crocodiles, like anacondas, like stuff you would never be able to f- sell now here just because of the laws and stuff. But talk about some of the early animals you were able to get into the store. And by the time I got into it, I could, I still couldn't. No caiman were illegal by then, and alligators were illegal by then, and everything was pretty much outlawed. Uh, now I have because I have a zoo. I have a separate permit for alligators, snapping turtles, rattlesnakes, gaboon vipers, 
so, you know, cane breaks, I mean, all kinds of fun stuff. So rattlesnakes. So, I, we're, you know, we got a we got a lot of variety that we couldn't even legally have in a pet store, which I'm really excited about because it gives me the opportunity to, to take the educational thing to another level. Mm-hmm. And is that, is that what you, is that what you enjoy the most out of, you know, prehistoric pets is the education aspect? Uh, I think probably it's between, I think the breeding fuels me a little bit. And then the educational part is the, uh, is a, the bigger component on the, uh, it helps with the finances the most with the least amount of outlay. Uh, the zoo, you know, I mean, it takes a lot of money to take care of all these animals. So we have to creatively to this day come up with a way. I mean, I just bought rodents and I think it was $67,000 for one shipment of rodents. No. Yeah. I mean, it'll, it'll last me a while, but at the end of the day, I got to creatively sell some of those and creatively, you know, pay for it. And I mean, it just takes a lot of money to run this place. Wow. So my expenses are under that. Uh (laughs) My rent, my rent is over $250,000 a month, a year. Oh my God. Okay. So how many, okay. So let's talk about the rent electricity is well over 250 grand a year. Okay. So let's talk about how, how big is it? Forget food, forget feeding all my employees. I mean, they all have to, they have families to feed and friends and they got to buy their cars and rent their houses. And it's, so it's a lot of expense, a lot of overhead. A lot of people just completely don't know the dedication it takes to be doing anything with animals. You have to love it or you have to be really stupid because you're never going to make a lot of money. Is that why you took to like social media? Like when did you start on Instagram? Because you have probably the biggest following of anyone I follow on Instagram re- with, you know, regarding in the, in the um, yeah. reptile world. I'm doing pretty amazing on tiktok too i i got i got one point almost 1.6 on tiktok what is tiktok so, tiktok I'm yeah so that's behind. a new a new blazing new social media and uh it's a fun it's a little bit interesting because just being in animals people automatically go into the negativity uh not the people so much that are following you but the but the the, the overall they're all really they're really restrictive uh Instagram and TikTok and all the social medias that they just they're worried about, you know, like, oh, you're not taking care of the animals or people, you know, I, I mean, I have friends of mine do lions and tigers and they're just always being picked on. And they're probably do half a third of the education is done in the whole United States is through them. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, it's like the really real education besides looking through a piece of glass and reading the little sign. You know, what I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean. That's kind of to me is just old school. I mean, you know, how much is a kid going to read a big old sign and learn about some lion or tiger? You know, I mean, I, I just don't find it for me, especially I couldn't learn in school. So to me, education really starts to engage when you're like close to an animal, you got to interact with an animal. That's what I like about. That's one of the things that motivates me a lot is I really realize that I couldn't learn, but yet somehow I learned how to breed snakes that nobody could breed, figured out genetics that people barely understand, you know, teach kids things that I, you know, I mean, that know things about reptiles that people never knew. And it's not because I'm so smart. It's just because I got into it and did it. People are so, people are so learning from, they're still to this day learning from books that people learned to write the book from another book. So how old is the information? You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, we go, we, go out, we go out and get educated from people who never did it, that read a whole bunch of books and put, made a book. You know? <laughs> we don't get educated by the people that are actually doing it. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we do. And it's so I kind of really like the idea that uh, I get to be at a place that people get into it, touch the animals, learn about them firsthand, and then go out and want to learn more than just out of a book or off the internet or, you know, they mm-hmm. want to actually go do the research themselves and find out their own ways. And that's kind of, it's kind of exciting to, to get messages on a regular basis. Like, you know, Oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a veterinarian and I'm going to, I'm going to South America and I'm going to Africa and I'm going to school in England to do this. And I'm, you know, and I see it's really rewarding to think that, you know, given my background, my life that I'm able to, inspire people do things that are greater than i'll ever be able to do 
You're team living the dream. Yeah, that to me is living the dream. I mean, how do you get to do stuff like that? It's just like I couldn't have planned it if I, you know, I had no, I had no ability to do what I'm able to do, and it just happened from doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so so oh, whether where there's a will, there's a way, and you just have to have that will, and that will will get you through anything. Like you, you told me you had all those animals, and you had to creatively find a way to feed them, and you did. Yeah. I did. I don't do critter parties anymore, Jay. I just was tired of being a clown. Uh, <laughs> do you still do them every now and then? Uh, I, I do. I do the higher end ones okay. uh, just because, you know, with the social media, sometimes people will want you to do it because you're you. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and so it brings extra money. And I don't care how I, I mean, honestly, I don't care how I get the money. I just care the bills are paid and the employees are fed and the animals get fed and and I get to do what I want to do and that's educate people and then go learn myself by going and you know being able to go to places like Myrtle Beach and have hang out with Doc and Cody and learn about lions and tigers in ways I've never dreamt that people don't even understand what's going on half the time and they you know I they can you know they speak lion and tiger and and they understand the genetics and I just I really enjoy I really enjoy going to Australia and, you know, going with people like Matt Wright and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing the biggest crocs in the world and feeding them and oh being there listening to, you know, this is how they move. This is what they do. Going out in the outback and they're, you know, mud puddles. And you think that's like a two foot deep mud puddle. And out comes a, you know, 15 foot crocodile out of wow. what you just can't believe could hold a four foot crocodile. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I got to do a lot of fun stuff. And, and while I'm doing it, I get to learn and I'm just a little kid at heart. And so it's really cool. I get to do the same thing that the people that come here get to do. So, <laughs> Jay, why do you think you resonate so well with so many people? Because you are just killing it on social media. And I know I keep on bringing that up, but it's like you have more followers than, well, I, than many celebrities. So, I mean, what? why do you think people are just so drawn to you? I think they realize I'm just a real person that just really, you know, is following what he wants to do and it's working out and he, they can tell that I really enjoy sharing my animals with other people. And I mean, the truth of the matter is, is, you know, I mean, even animal rights people, they throw rocks at people like me, but at the same time, I'm doing exactly what they want to do. They want people to fall in love with the animals and take care of them. And most of them fell in love with animals through you know, it's like SeaWorld, Blackfish. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they tear SeaWorld up, but probably 80% of the scientists that from marine research came from SeaWorld. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So at some point, you got to weigh the good with the bad, and there's never all good, unless you know some place I don't know about. But on this planet we call Earth, you know, there ain't good anywhere without some bad mixed into it. And that's just part of life. I mean, life is just... You know, life is a challenge at, le- at the least, and, and nothing's ever perfect. But I think that the fact that when I do my stuff, I'm not prideful because I'm not – I don't have a reason to be prideful. I'm just just like they are, learning about animals, having a good time, realizing how cool they are, realizing they aren't as scary as they are, and realizing you have to respect them and you want to care for them and you want to, you know, do whatever you can to make them last forever. I mean, you want everybody – you know, nobody wants the last snake to be dead. And I, I love it when people tell me, oh, my friend was going to cut the head off the, the snake with a shovel. And I told him, you know, back off, hold on, you know, and, and we scooped it into something and we saved it. And, you know, because I realize now that they have a place in, you know, they have a place in the wilderness to do their job. And it's just part of an ecosystem and the ecosystem needs all its parts. I love that. And so, you know, I mean... We look at flies and they're a nightmare, right? But then, you know, you have a big dead wildebeest out in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing to eat it. The flies take care of it. And they transfer it all over the country and, you know I mean? And they get decompose it to go in the ground and the plants eat it. And, and, you know, so it's like, it's a circle of life for real. I mean, there's just, gonna... you know, so I just like real real life i'm gonna like tag you in this like you know resident fly you know enthusiast and advocate jay Brewer. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, so cool. i just I, I just think that's why and, and the people you know some people don't like me because they a lot of people that are like into reptiles they think it's like 
you know, oh, he's doing it for fame or fortune or money or, you know, and I, I you got to be, you just can't be, you don't know anything if you're saying anybody's doing animals for money. <laughs> I mean, there may be some way out there to make a ton of money off of it, but most of the time I think the people that make all the money are the people collecting money to save animals and they take a big percentage and ends up to run their business and pay their big wages and, you know, and you got the crying, you know, the dog, skinny dog walking across the screen and, you know what I mean? And everybody's writing checks out every month and setting up their monthly payments. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely those people are the people making all the money. The people that are actually living, taking care of animals their whole lives. You know, when an animal gets sick, you got to take it to a vet. It's not going to be cheap. When a, you know, you need to feed your snake a $10 a week meal and you have a bunch of them, you do the math. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just think there's some there's some misconceptions. I mean, I don't think everybody should be doing what I'm doing. That's for sure because you know it's a lot of work and it's not for everybody. But I think that there's it's it's good if we have people out there that are actually educating people that actually own the animals. You know, there's a lot of people on the internet that just go from place to place to place. You know, and luckily most of them promote the places that they're that they're uh, using their animals at. Mm-hmm. So the people can find the place and learn about the animals, you know. But at the end of the day, I think that the people who have spent their whole life working with animals, uh, they, they're they really special thing that we that I get to go to to learn about them. And I think that everybody that gets to do that, whether it be reptiles or about horses or anything, I think it's really, really cool that that there's the Internet out there to do that now because – when I was a kid, there was no internet. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was a couple. I mean, even even the places that there were, there was like a place called the Alligator Farm, and the land just became so expensive that they couldn't stay in business. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so now I'm able to, in a relatively small location, I get to share my stuff all over the world, and I think that that's really cool. So yeah. I think the most important part about social media is just sharing something that you're passionate about about enough that you actually find out bring something to the table that they wouldn't know normally yeah and that's why i love following you just the basic yeah i mean sometimes i have big giant snakes and sometimes like i pull an eggs and the female strike it at me and and they're like what the heck so that's kind of like the catch and then they find out hey i was scared of snakes but now i've watched you take these eggs from all these females and and they strike at you and you don't seem to be bothered by it. And before I know it, you know, I'm realizing that, you know, you're holding these big snakes with people and, and people have are holding kids are all over the place, holding baby snakes and ball pythons and all these different pretty colors. And they start to realize there's a whole nother world out there. And besides the snake that needs a shovel to its neck. Yeah. And so I just want to broaden people's knowledge if I can, including my own. Yeah, I love it. And I love like I love the whole education. I'm not just blowing smoke because every time I come across your stuff, I'm like, wow, that's so awesome. Like, I didn't know that. And I love it. And it's very interactive, which I think is great. Okay, so Jay, how many animals does prehistoric pet currently have in its facility in, in, in the reptile zoo? We have a lot of animals. I don't even know the exact number. Uh, we, st- we have been cutting back on breeding just by the nature of growing the zoo and not having time to, to worry too much about it. Uh, I'm not a big fan of cutting back too bad, too much on not breeding just because I think the snakes naturally want to cycle and then they go through the whole cycle and, and, uh, I want them to go through the cycle successfully because it's just what they're made to do. And it does help support the, the zoo at the same time, but I also have to get adequate homes for them. You know, I don't, I can't, I don't just want to, I don't want to sell a 14 foot retic to a 12 year old. <laughs> that was too bizarre that I ended up. I mean, the fact that I ended up with that biggest snake in the get go, my first really exotic snake that I had was a reticulated Python is almost dumbfounding. I didn't even really realize it for probably 10 years into breeding retics. I was like, wow, that's really the actual first tropical snake you had besides the boa that, didn't eat that I had to trade in. That's so cool. So, I, I, would you say retics are your favorite out of all the reptiles you've worked uh, with? I wouldn't necessarily say that. I just like it because of the genetic diversity and all the colorations, and the, I've been able to paint 
all their colors with genetics. And so because I've been involved in that in an early stage, you know, me and Tim have been involved with maybe making 300 different first time ever combinations and maybe a little bit more than that. And uh, it's been kind of, it's rewarding, you know, uh, just because when you work at something and you get to do things that never happened before, it's kind of crazy. You know what I mean? Imagine if you went to go play golf and you, and you broke the world's record, you know, once a week for 52 weeks. You know what I mean? It would be pretty weird, right? I mean, yeah. so to be able to do something that I'm pioneering is fun. And it's, you know, and it's fun when other people do it. And it's fun when we all get a, you know, get together about it. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes people are a little bit like, you know, they get weird about it. They're like, you know, oh my gosh, why don't you let some other people make the first time ones? And it's like, it's perpetual. Why would I purposely not allow the snakes that I've been working for 10 years or 12 years to create something that I've been working for 12 years for, why would I want to stop and just not do that? It doesn't make sense to me. I'm not in a race with anybody, you know, a matter of fact, I took a huge break now, uh, but we're going to ready to make an effort to breed some of the stuff that we have that will make worlds first again. But we've taken a little bit of break with the, adding a zoo we might open up some other locations wow so that is that's incredible how many people visit your facility a year you know that's a really good that's a really good question for laura (laughs) okay Uh, i'll ask her later (laughs) i honestly don't know the exact number to be honest i still focus a lot on the social media and the i travel a lot and try to get to different places, different destinations, and work with other kinds of animals. Uh, I love, you know, it's hard for me to learn a lot about snakes unless they're venomous, just because I've been around a lot of snakes for a long, long time. So it's real fun for me to go to places that have, you know, a lot of crazy mammals, lions and tigers and bears and giraffes, and, and learn a little bit more about all those different animals. And while I'm out there, I'm able to help them if they have snakes about snakes. And I'm learning a lot more about crocodilian. I didn't, I mean, I'm, you can't be a know it all, everything. And so it's fun to, to go literally learn from the, some of the best people in the world about animals. And I just, I love, love it. Yeah. And uh, I love being able to, you know, back here, teach my people what I need to teach them. And, and I love learning from people other places and sharing the, Things that I'm surprised about that I didn't know. I mean, I mean, when I was in when I was in Myrtle Beach, I learned that you know that basically, if you look at ligers, for instance, there are people who are really down on crossbreeding ligers. Mm-hmm. Well, they naturally they naturally lived in 16 different regions that overlap, but most people don't know they overlap. And the other part is probably if they wouldn't have shot them all and killed them all and divide them up all with all the the countries all splitting through all their zones separating everything there'd probably be ligers everywhere because the ligers breed the like the ligers that they bred literally they had one one tiger have two ligers and the rest of the litter was tigers because not because they didn't try to to crossbreed and they naturally crossbred just because they were living in, in a pros, proximity where they could and so uh, you can't tell me that if all these lions and tigers overlapped this huge area and they weren't, you know, hunted to extinction and they weren't divided by millions of human beings that moved in there, that they wouldn't still be crossbreeding. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just like common sense, but common sense is not so common anymore. Well, yeah. And that and, makes and, sense. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, here's an even crazy part. If you check the DNA of a lion, it's got tiger genes in it. And if you check the DNA of a tiger, it's got lion's genes in it. So at the end of the day, how did those genes get there if they never ever crossbred? If they were never united at some point? Yeah. And so, but yet the purists go on there and say, "Oh, that's lies." Well, do the DNA. I mean, this is this is nine. This is not 1949 when we, you know. This is 2020, man. And you need, I mean, DNA tells the whole story that you, that the scientists don't want to tell. 
Wow. You know? Yeah, because you're talking about, because a lot of people don't realize that Asia, and there's only a few lions left, the Asiatic lion, but you're talking about back in the day when they used to overlap. That's interesting. Well, go go look at the country. You could see where the country is just divided up by, by all the countries have just taken over. And we already know, you know, perfect, for instance, there's all... The, the people are like, oh, how horrible. There's almost as many lions and tigers in captivity as there are in the wild. Well, think about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what's going to be in 10 years? Are they going to be extinct because everybody killed them all? And so it's even going to be more important to have captive, captive lions. And so the genetics are still somewhat intact. Yeah. You know, and, 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 I get, and I get some of the complaints that some of the people just randomly interbreed them. And, oh, well, it's okay. They're three lines of brothers and sisters and brothers. But you know what? They did DNA test on their cats and they were four times more diverse than most wild lions and tigers four huh. times. And that's like my snakes. People are like, Oh, well you make all these albinos and they're inbred. My snakes have more genes in them than any snake would ever have in the wild by far genetically outbred because how do you get just Anybody just stop and thinks, how do I get a snake that's showing five genes in it with, without outbreeding? Mm-hmm. It's got five different, in some cases, it's got five different, you know, five different areas that all the snakes came from. And then you got to, so you're bringing in five or eight different bloodlines in order to even, even make the animal even exist. And when the wild, they're living in a, in an area and they're just crisscrossing, breeding each other, brother and sister and out and cousin. And, you know, and so there's actually, it's more controlled in captivity and people never stop to think about that. They just have to have something to be critical about. And uh, I just like positivity and there's so much positive stuff about animals. Uh, I just saw a thing on the, I was standing in line yesterday and, you know, they always have the national choir and all the stuff. And I actually looked up and it said the five reasons why, Pets can lengthen your life. And I thought animals are the, like, they're just so amazing. Just learning constantly and learning your whole life about anything that you're interested in. It doesn't matter if it's cars, trains, planes, you know, animals. I think that learning is really good for humans, people in general. And I think that the idea that, you know, we go home and watch, play video games and, and then they wonder why people, you know, when I was a kid, everybody said, oh, if they allow all these video games, before you know it, kids are going to become violent. Here it is, 10, you know, 15 years later, 20 years later, and these kids are going and shooting everybody up at school. Mm-hmm. And they blame the guns. Like the guns all of a sudden learn how to kill, kill people. And it's kind of sad because it's just a people problem because they're not getting any interaction with real nature and all the amazing animals and trees and, and beautiful oceans and rivers and you know, we spend more time trying to destroy them than we do learning about them. And if we learn about them and fall in love with them, we won't want to, we won't want to, we want to take care of it all. Yeah. So that's, that's really what I like. I like to just share the things that I found in my life that are really cool. Yeah. Not, it's not for everybody. But you're doing a great job at it. And I, how do you, I just have a question. So you have over a million, fo- or a million and a half followers, right? Do you get like, every notification like or is it like capped off like i'm so confused like what is that like well to be to be completely honest i up till about a million i answered every single instagram message i ever got now i can't keep up i i set my tiktok up so that i don't even get i don't even get uh anything but i can't i can't you can't even message me on tiktok i probably should have my instagram that way but i really want to be connected to people but at some point, it's not possible, uh, pe- but people get to come to the zoo and meet me, and I like that. Yeah. So so when you open up your Instagram, I'm sorry, I'm so curious. I've never interviewed someone with a million and a half followers. When you open it up, like right now, does it say like you have, I don't know, 4,000 notifications well, or 10,000 notifications? Well, basically, after you open it up, it usually resets itself, but uh-huh. you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a folder in Instagram for the people that don't follow you that message. I mean, the people you don't follow that message you, it's mm-hmm. like a spam folder. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I don't know if I'll ever catch back up. I mean, it's just, I bet you there's 5,000 or 10,000 messages in there now. Oh I mean, I just, I try to, I try to fan through them because some are really spam and 
delete the spam and I try to have people that have, you know, oh, my snake is pooping funny and I try my best to answer every single one that's, that's you know, not, you know, I send a smiley face if they say, oh, you're the best thing ever. You know, I really appreciate it. But, you know, it's not really about me, to be honest. It's just about animals, good time and trying. I mean, I want to be an encouragement because I did really have a tough life. I don't want to go to how tough it really was, but it was really tough. And I, I always want people to think no matter the living the dream thing is really, you know, it's really about the fact that no matter how bad life is, there's a better day coming. And that sometimes we just have to hold our heads up and make the best of what we have and the, and the better will come. And so if I can encourage that, then I'm achieving my goal. And that's my undertow of the whole thing is just that, hey, Life can be screwed up, but it's okay. It'll be better tomorrow. Just don't give up. Damn, Jay, you could be a motivational speaker. (laughs) I'm serious. (laughs) I feel like you're choking me up over here. I'm like, you're right, darn it. Like, life is going to get better. (laughs) It's serious. You know know what I mean? Hey, I I always tell people in their really bad way. They'll tell them, I go, you want the good news or the bad news? (laughs) And they always tell me, well, I guess I want the good news. And I go, the Best news I can tell you is your best day you've ever had in your life is still in front of you. And then if they go, well, what, what's the bad news? Oh, your worst day's coming too. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, like I always say, I always tell people, you know what? When the bad stuff comes, try to just put your nose down, keep going forward. When the good stuff comes, slow down and enjoy it. Yeah. And try to remember it, you know? The rearview mirror is a little rearview mirror for a reason. You're just supposed to glance back there to try to make sure you know where you're going or where you came from. It's not to live in it. Yeah. When did this take so, off for you, Jay? Like, when did it take off, like, with the social media and with you traveling? And, I mean, I mean, because I know Instagram uh, is, You know, yeah. it's always been a little bit of this. You know, I mean, it's, there's been, like I said, I can tell you one of the worst years of my life was only two years ago. They, they were... Basically, the city, I was having problems, and they almost closed my entire location down, and Mm. they were just, it was not good. They just figured everything was dangerous. It was just an insurance liability. Uh, There was, you know, we had spent like six or eight, ten months trying to get the permit, so we weren't putting money back into the shop because we were worried they were were basically telling me, like, hit the road, you know, Mm. conditional use permit, and they were trying not to say hit the road because they were worried about, you know, well, we can't say that, you know. And they just, it was really a difficult trying situation. And I don't know, it's a miracle that we got through it. And, you know, my wife, my daughter, my daughter tells me, I asked my daughter one day, I go, how many miracles did it take for us to get through it? And she summed it up in perfect sentence. She said, it'd be a miracle to remember how many miracles it took because we had, we were no way we had enough money. I mean, they spent more money by, requiring me to have his drawings and engineered things than my whole budget. And so it's just amazing. And it just, it is what it is. And I just want to do my best and I hope I get to do it forever. And uh, my wife, you know, she doesn't care for this most of the time because it takes so much of my time. And you now people don't realize that when everybody else goes home, all the problems still are with the owner, whether you're doing something you love or not. You have to be dedicated and you can't do it. You, you'll never make it unless you're dedicated and you really, you know, passion is the only fuel that doesn't seem to burn out and wear out. Yeah. So once again, motivation. Know, and that's, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a truth. I mean, you know, I mean, what is the difference between a world record and average runner? 10% an average good runner. I mean, what's the difference between the, you know, the fastest car and a quarter mile and the, the last one, the last one in the race. I mean, it's seconds. It's just that extra effort that makes a difference between you and everybody else. And, and sometimes I think we spend a lot of times looking at other people, trying to be like them, not realizing that realizing that we're wired completely different. And it's nothing wrong with looking at people to decide, Hey, I want to do that. But I think we have to look at ourselves more and realize, Hey, how am I going to do that? Not how's he doing that? You can look at him as a you can, but people have a tendency of wow they got a nicer car they got a nicer house oh they had it lucky they had rich parents you know what some of the poorest people I ever met had rich parents you know mm-hmm. what I mean yeah and so 
sometimes I, I, I sometimes I look in I, the mirror and I think, I, I really honestly won't trade all my hardship for anything because I realize that I would have probably never made it where I am. Not that I'm any place that special, but this is the place for me. And this is how it worked out for me. And it wouldn't have worked out for me if it was given to me. I had to earn it and had to have the hard times to get through the, I couldn't have got through my biggest, the biggest problem I said was the city. And the, I mean, we had city, we had state permits we were pulling and, yeah. you know, we had just, it was just a crazy and it just seemed impossible, seemed impossible, you know, not to mention while the, the government was trying to ban uh, pythons in general, I mean, that was a seven year war and uh, all based on non-science. You know what I mean? They can't live in California. That's silly. Yeah, so what do you and, great segue. Like what are your thoughts on that? I mean, cuz that was a big well, big thing. Well, it's real simple. I heard I heard a fish and wildlife agent say real simple. One of the guys asked him, "Well, what about all the people and all their jobs?" And they said, "The economy impact is nothing compared to the amount of money that has had to go into it." They said they spent over 2 billion dollars in Florida and over 2 billion dollars in Texas. Now you tell me where four to five billion dollars went. It sure didn't go into pulling snakes out of the wild. It went into people's pockets for elections or something. But whatever, not my deal. I'm not a politician. I don't want to be a politician. Mm-hmm. It it sickens me when I see the fact that the money, the way you know, I just don't like it. I don't like I don't like uh, I don't like the idea that we work for somebody else to you know, get rich while the politicians get rich. And, you know, I'm sure they work for their money. I'm I'm not suggesting that they don't work, Mm -hmm. but they're working for money and they get a lot of it. And I just don't understand why, you know, why we allow, you know, things to, to be so much money taken out for something like pythons. They're, they're still there. They're going to still be there. They've been, they were there 20 years before they started the thing and they spend over four billion dollars. I mean, why why aren't they spending the money on the homeless people? I mean, there are homeless people everywhere. You could literally set. I mean, that's a lot of money. That we're not talking about four hundred million dollars. We're talking about four billion dollars. Wow. That's a lot of cash. That's a lot. And of I, mean, cash. I couldn't believe it when they. That was. I didn't even know that till the last day when they actually passed the law, which ended up being turned over because they, you know, they cut all kinds of corners in order to to sell it but they cut so many corners it wasn't even illegal and the science had nothing to do with it it all had to do with money so if we so if the if the python industry was over one a million a hundred million dollars a year then they would have to do scientific studies to and fight us in court so what they what happened was is we didn't file a paper that kept it at that questionable amount so the that made it where they could they just say because we're the government, this is the law. We don't care. You can't tell us the science is good or bad. And they just paid for papers to be made. And so at the end of the day, I'm glad I'm not a politician. Oh, yeah. So I don't want to be a politician. I don't, I don't want to have to make my money off other people's backs. And I, I rather do it by bringing something to other people. I get to walk in my store and people shake my hand saying, thank you for having us here. And for me, that's pretty rewarding, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, one of, one of my, I remember one time, one of the worst weeks I had before the last time, and this, I was just thinking, God, I just don't know how I can do this any longer. And this beautiful, like, 18-year-old girl walks up to me and says, I just want you to know that I've been following you for five years, and I'm dedicating my whole life to to, to science and animals, and I've already got my scholarship to this, you know, and I'm, you know, and she had just, just poured her whole life into, to, you know, being a biologist and, and she was already had the whole thing laid out. And, and I just, and she's like, it's all because of you. And I just thought to myself, that's freaking crazy. And I thought, I guess I have to find a way to keep doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause I mean, you couldn't pay money to have that happen. So I mean, it may, not everybody's motivated by that, but for me, coming from my background with no mom, no dad, you know, my being orphaned, you know, no family, I think I think people are the most important thing in life, and they're the only thing that they're really the only thing you can't buy with money. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I completely <laughs> and, agree. And so, yeah, so I think it's, it's just really important that we all pitch in to support each other. And, and if we can motivate somebody on our way and help them, and then we're really, we're really helping ourselves in the long run. Absolutely. Okay, can we go through a little lightning round of questions really quick? Sure. What is the, the your most favorite snake that you've ever bred? This is going to be a hard I, one. Jake, come on, you, do it. <laughs> I knew you. This is ridiculous. It, you know, I mean, it, it, to ask me my favorite snake is like asking somebody their favorite food. I mean, it's, it sounds easy, but until you really stop and go, okay, what about if I was to get rid of all the foods and eat one food for the rest of my life? You'd be like, uh-oh, I'm not sure. Pizza, Jay. So, I mean, I really like – I like big snakes. So, rule number one, they got to be big snakes. The reason why I like retics is they're more intelligent than most big snakes. And now you got a color issue. Now, do I like – what pattern do I like? Do I like them with – you know. So, at the end of the day, I have so many first – and so many snakes that I think are the coolest snake on earth that I could never pick a snake. Uh, but I do like big snakes. I do like – intelligent snakes you know i'm not really i don't like passive snakes that just are and don't really have a lot of thought process i like ones that can recognize me snakes that can you know when i interact with them i know they're either happy or unhappy or or if they even get unhappy that i can actually invest a moment in them and calm them back down to me i like working with a little bit of intelligence in a snake so that's one of the reasons why i like reticulated pythons i heard cobras are the same way Oh yeah, but cobras are—you can't take much risk. They bite you dead, and I don't—I don't like that, yeah. that aspect of it. But yeah, you know, I do like the, how intelligent retics are. They look at you, and I promise you, they're thinking. Uh, that's so. so cool. I've always loved big snakes. I have—I have two Burmese pythons. I'm a huge Burm fan. Uh, they're awesome. Them. They're yeah. Burmese. Burmese are awesome snakes. They're—they're they're not as intelligent, even closely as intelligent as a reticulated python, but they're big, beautiful awesome great animals that do really well with people better yeah. than even retics because they're because some retics can be tame or tamer than a burmese but at the end of the day retics are retics are like a dog i mean excuse me retics are like a cat burmese are like a dog a burmese python when you when you take a dog and you rough it up it just comes back oh i love you i love you i love you you know i mean you can't hardly do anything to upset it it's almost almost impossible it just keeps back loving you no matter what you do Mm -hmm. i mean how many people i mean it's just a hardcore fact but a cat one day it's like yeah i'm in the mood for love and then it'll rub up against you and you pet it and likes you and the next day it's like i'm in a bad mood what are you freaking doing don't touch me ah you know and that's what a cat's like well retics are kind of more like a cat they're they're like, you know, they're capable of making decisions, giving on, giving the moment on what you're doing and how you're doing it. If you're not being respectful to them, they'll let you know. They'll warn you, you know, they'll be like where a Burmese just goes, oh, poor me. It's okay. I love you. And a retic is more like, bro, what are you doing? You know, I don't <laughs> like that. You know, I- and, they, and they literally... They give you like a warning and then they'll give you another warning and then they'll give you a bite warning and then they'll give you a real bite warning. You know what I mean? It's like, they're just like, how can I get this through your thick skull? And that's just not what, you know, so they're two different snakes and uh, even though they're both big snakes. So we only do birthday parties with Burmese because I know that I can trust almost any employee with them where a retic, you know, wrong day, wrong moment, you know, kid does the wrong thing, grabbing it, squeezing it, pinching it. And it won't, it's not going to get upset in two seconds, but after two or three times, it's going to be like, the hell, don't you have any respect for me? You know I mean? <laughs> so there's a, so that there's big snake one oh one on mentalities. That's so I've never heard anyone compare them like that. That's so interesting. I, you know, I, I, had well, I promise you it's dead on. Yeah. That's so, yeah, I, that's the same thing with us. We only use our Burmese for those programs. Man, I've always wanted a house in, house in Anaconda as well. Are you a big fan? Uh, I love Anacondas, but not when it goes to hand them to kids or hand them to yeah, people no, because yeah. they're, 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 now they're a weird snake. You get them upset and you don't know they're upset and they don't tell you they're upset and then they just grab a hold of you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, same with boas. You'll see sitting there holding the bow and it's uncomfortable and it'll wiggle around and before you know it, whap! It bites you two times, and and I'm talking about bigger snakes. So 
you know, you have to give them the proper support. You got to be aware of their strike zone and what's in their strike zone. Like, believe it or not, ball pythons will strike at things. If you hold a ball python and you wave its hand, your hand out like a foot out in front of it, it's going to strike at you. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. the way it is. It's it's like thinking a bird's flying there trying to get them and eventually whap, whap. And that's a ball python. But yet the same snake, you rub its head. You I mean, you could abuse it, to be honest, if you're touching its head and it won't even strike at you. Mm-hmm. But that's just, you know, same thing. It's back to the, oh, poor me. But yet if it's thinking it's going to maybe protect itself from something flying in front of it, trying to strike at it, oh, it missed, oh, oh, it starts to get nervous, mm-hmm. you know, and snakes are, you know, if you're scared, they're scared, because at the end of the day, it's no different than two people walking in an alleyway, if you drop to your knees and put go in a fighting position, you got about a 50% chance you're going to get in a fight, mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're in the middle of a dark alley in LA, mm-hmm. you know, but if you just go, hey, man, what's up, the other person, even if they were gonna think about fighting, they're going to be like, Dude, I ain't gonna mess with that guy. He ain't even phased. Yeah, no fear of me whatsoever. I'm out of here. Hey, what's up, bro? And off you go. So, I mean, it's just the way it works. Yeah. Okay. So, Jay, in your opinion, this is gonna be a hard one. But what is, in your opinion, you probably get asked this all the time, the best beginner reptile pet? Uh, reptiles too vague. Uh, lizards, I'd lizards. say. Yeah, we'll do lizards. Uh, we're going to start with lizards. I think bearded dragons are great. They have more requirements than, say, a crescent gecko. Uh, leopard geckos are great because they don't have much requirements. Uh, actually, crescent geckos aren't bad either for needing, you know, I mean, crescent geckos don't have much. They don't need They don't need UV. They don't need, you know, there's a lot of things they don't need. They can eat dry food. They're very, can be really tame with a little bit of effort at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, leopard geckos, you can feed them food out of your refrigerator is in like, you know, uh, mealworms and wax worms. And so you can make those pretty easy where a bearded dragon, you know, all of a sudden now you, you're going to have to start feeding it roaches and you're going to need to feed it king mealworms, things that are a little bit different. But then even then you have to have a UV light. You got to have a, you know, a, a good heat source, which a crested gecko doesn't need. So those are, those are in the top three for lizards. Uh, for snakes, I always tell people ball pythons are great same thing you're gonna have to have a meat a heat requirement pretty strictly uh then the next thing would be corn snakes king snakes and milk snakes uh those are my favorite snakes they have a less of a heat requirement still have a heat requirement but it's easily attained with a heat pad and a hide place uh, where a ball python might need a heat pad a hide place and an overhead heat in order to ensure that it's going to have its proper temperature but those are those are going to be my geckos. and That's going to be my lizards and my snakes. Awesome. Jay, one last thing. I have to ask you something because you did something I've always wanted to do. It's a bucket list. And that was go see Komodo Dragons. Komodo Island. <laughs> you, you, you knew it. <laughs> you knew if, that it. Ain't a, if that ain't on your bucket list, you aren't a reptile guy. So to me, the two biggest things on my bucket list were seeing some of the biggest crocodiles in the world, interacting with them, and seeing the biggest lizards in the world and interacting with them. Uh, both of them are absolutely insane. Uh, Komodo Island was an incredible experience, and it's amazing how much you can do in one or two days. Uh, around Komodo Island is amazing because, I mean, giant manta rays in the water and oceans that you have never couldn't even imagine what they look like and, you know, just incredible. And so it's definitely a, an incredible experience. They keep talking about they're going to take it away. I hope they don't. Uh, but I had an absolutely great time in both Australia, venomous snakes every turn. We drove all night and caught my first diamond pythons and, oh. and all these rare, you know, rare. I was catching snakes that they're like, man, I've wanted to catch one of those for years. And I was like, what is it? You know? I mean, every other snake, you turn the corner, it's a different kind of snake. It's just, it was crazy. Oh, my so, gosh. That's awesome. Two Jay. incredible countries to visit. Did you have, do you have a dream destination, Jay? You know, I think I'm running out now. It's just a matter of like uh, going back to Australia is definitely on my bucket list. Going back to and, you know, I honestly think if I go back to Australia, I'm going back to to basically Indonesia and back to Komodo Island. And, you know, I might go do one of the other islands. And I want to, you know, I mean, we were able to catch the what do they call them, green tree vipers mm. in Komodo and uh 
but I think I'd like to go back and make more videos of of them and check them out closer. And I still have videos I haven't posted, so I got to make it all happen. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Jay, you're a busy guy. I seriously appreciate every second of your time, and thank you for coming on the show. And I really, really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, I hope everybody has does the best they can at living their dream and finding out what they want to do and uh and don't look at other people except to learn kind of getting the idea of what you want to do and do it your way because your way is always better than anybody else's way because it's your way and that way you're wired for it so that's awesome thank you that so includes much, you Jay. keep keep up keep up on your show and and, and yeah. your vlogs and and uh and uh make it happen I appreciate it, man. Well, thank you. I, I hope to meet in person one day. I would love to come to the store one day. So Podcast would be correct, by the way. I guess I call it a vlog. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Don't even worry. I, <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> if, you make, if you're going to make it out, make sure that, you know, I always tell people kind of, I'm going to work on making a calendar so that there's just going to be designated times that I'm absolutely in town so that if people come to the Reptile Zoo in California, they'll actually get a chance to meet me. I, not that it's that big a deal. I'm just another person just like they are, but... They, a lot of people have come to reptiles because of me and, and enjoy it. And so there's nothing wrong with getting to say hi. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.